clubhouse. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to Conversations with Eliza, your unofficially official next podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode three, file number three. Uh, Stick around at the end of this episode where we have an amazing interview with the very funny and very kind Fernanda Andrade, who plays our lead female on next, special agent Shay Salazar. It was a great interview with me and Paul and uh, Fernanda. We missed you, Caroline. How you doing? Oh, you did? You missed me on this interview, y'all? Yeah, we did. I edited Miss Fernanda, and she was fantastical. I am so glad you guys gave a lot of thoughtful questions, so I'm proud of you guys. She did her She did her homework. That was that was. You two did your nice. homework, too. I yeah. gave all of you a lot of credit. And listen, she gave me room to run with some bad Italian accents for like the first five minutes of the podcast, and yeah. listen, I, that's all I needed. I was pretty <laughs> set from that point on. I dare so. say she was charmed by your Italian I think you uh, were all charming. I'm going to say you were all charmed by each other. Like a bunch (laughs) of little snakes in baskets. It was a little thruple charming. That's what it was. (laughs) All right, boys, let us get going on this episode because this really picked up some speed, guys. The whirlwind of what Next is capable of expands quite a bit from just, you know, fucking around with with your gambling debts to, like you were saying in the first episode of the medical equipment and um, then the Department of Transportation system. Mm. All that. Mm -hmm. You guys, I was just having a conversation this weekend about the those amber alerts because there was a silver alert up here and I had to explain to to Tom. And he was like he's like, There's did someone kidnap an adult? What does that mean? And I said, Well, usually with an adult it's you know, it's maybe grandpa shouldn't be driving and has gone, you know, disappeared from the house. But for for kids, that's like a very real thing. Like your phone lights up, everyone's phone starts to buzz and you see all the traffic signs turn over. It's kind of a terrifying thing. And then when you think how easy it seems to be to hack the DOT to get one of those things launched, it's even more terrifying. You know, I'm a divorced dad. I got to be fucking looking over my shoulder now, you know, in case (laughs) someone's running down, you know, me to get my kid. Here's some hints from me to you on how not to look suspicious. One, don't take your kid like like at a fruit stand and just head off into the woods next door. (laughs) Like that's going to raise eyebrows normally. <laughs> what else did he have a or, choice to do? Or just home? randomly start giving your kid a piggyback ride in the middle of town. What is the last time you gave a piggyback ride? I'd like to know. He's big for a piggyback ride. I'm, I'm just saying. So that's also suspicious. He had a blister, you, you monster. What is I he know. supposed to do? Exactly. They were trying to make time. The kid was he was going to have to leave him behind. And that would, be even, <laughs> that would have to be like an even worse look on the, on, on the dad. Yeah, that would be terrible. No, his but father, you first, know what? First he kidnaps his child, takes him into the woods, and then abandons him. This guy he's, is the fucking devil. Right, he's been walking all goddamn day. He's got a blister. All right. <laughs> I thought he was. I thought he was going to go ask one of those kids for a cigarette and stick it in this kid's mouth. Okay. It was. But know. then, if you get caught with the piggyback ride, do not say you're going camping as your excuse. Where's your camping stuff? <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that was a rough moment. But here's the thing. I think that they handled this all very well. And I do want to say for all of you out there who are saying Department of Transportation could never be hacked like this. Oh, my friends. Yes, it can. Paul and I went to school in Austin. And let me just tell you, the DOT signs <laughs> right. were hacked 
often. Or else okay? the undead have been because roaming around. We would have like computer <laughs> students like right, like right there at the school and they would hack into those systems. And so on the highway, you'd be driving and it would say zombies turn back. <laughs> And it would say it across the highway. They had yeah. hacked into the system, so it is very plausible. Even, and what if you what if you just had like a disgruntled employee who just wanted to you know uh, yeah. have a, have like you know the 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 guy that uh, CM gets on the phone. Obviously, he's doing sketchy shit on his website that yeah, he, he believes so easily. He's got malware on his computer. You know who knows he's not fucking around with the DOT signs. And did you guys ever see Steve Martin's seminal movie L.A. Story? Where Dua Diddy get the lyrics to Dua Diddy get put up on the traffic sign <laughs> every time he drives so on the there LA freeway. You go. You know, so it's you know. plausible, you guys. I I think Ty did a, did a good job of trying to to get around this whole thing, and I think that the show and the writers did a great job of not making us wait too long. So it wasn't like everyone got the Amber Alert and Ty was like, whatever is going on? He saw it first. Right, right. Real and heads he, up. Real heads up thinking. Yeah, and he ditched out of there first. They didn't just wander over to their car and get trapped. Like, I mean, there were a lot of good right. things he did. And you guys, how shocked were you that that actually came to an end very quickly and without Ty being arrested? Super shocked. Yeah, super shocked. that. But what CM does, that remote assist thing mike in case you don't know that's real <laughs> you just need a machine no, no. name and and right. permission once the person logs in but yeah yeah that that can happen see that my that's my it all the time we have we have third-party it from my office and they remote into my computer whenever there's an issue you know you have to get a printer working or something like that it's it's a thing like yeah you just kind of get used to handing over the keys you know to your computer that's the terrifying thing about so many things in next is how very plausible, if not outright real, the stuff is that they're talking about. All it takes is like one perverse mind or one supercomputer, you know, and super intelligence computer to like really start fucking with things that we just take for granted. Those Amber Alerts, when they all start going off like that, I've been places where everyone's Amber Alert phone started starts going off at once. Like it's a meeting nerve wracking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, You're going to be in everyone's cell phones all start, <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 it's nerve wracking. You know, the one thing I wanted to ask you guys about only because... Because we, the three of us, us core three, had this exact discussion during The Outsider about whether or not a crowd would really jump in and interfere in a quote-unquote family-looking matter so quickly. Did you guys believe that all those people in that small, sleepy town, like, swinging their fucking pickup trucks around and, like, jumping out and confronting Ty and the kid? Like, that they would be so involved and confront him. Did you guys find that believable or a little, a little too much? We've actually traveled to the portland area not exactly there but close enough to call it and i'd say yeah i'd say it's like very small town sort of feeling like like i know i know you've got some of the new york background where you're not supposed to notice anything around you but in other parts of the country that that is it is something that people would do so yeah i think i think so I think so. Well, well, to be clear, I totally believe this is something people do. In the outsider argument, it was the when they, they get kidnapped at the bear uh, exhibit or whatever, right? And they try to take the kid, and the girls, the daughter, the sister starts shouting and uh, about you know, oh yeah, at like taking the a fair. Figure. And you guys were like, no, no one ever interact, no one would ever intercede. This was a whole thing we had on the outsider podcast. I will play it for well, you. Well, that's Missouri. 
or wherever they were. <laughs> I totally think this is a thing that would happen, though it did seem extremely aggressive for a small town. But maybe that's why, right? This idea of we're a community and we all kind of stand up and, you know, stand together. It was kind of shocking, but I agree with you, Caroline. I thought it was really against the TV trope that it did get resolved so fast. So let me ask you guys, would either... Would either of you guys have stepped in with an Amber Alert if you thought you saw them? Would you ever be sure enough, confident enough in your own identifying of someone standing near to you, to your picture on your phone? Would you step in? I'd call in a license plate, but I don't I don't trust my own anything to match up a picture with a three-dimensional person and, and then want to call the cops on them. Okay, Mike? I would if I was 100% sure of it, but I would be more likely, same as Paul. I don't know that I would trust myself, but I would follow someone. I would call it in and th- and say, I think this is a person, and I would continue to follow them until someone relieved me, to some authority relieved me of doing it. I-, I don't know that I would ever feel 100% sure it was the same, but I would definitely, like, stay with them. I wouldn't just, like, uh, ignore it. How about you, Caroline? I'm kind of – I'm with you guys. I don't think I trust myself 100% to identify the person. And so then I'm skittish about getting involved. When that guy says to Ty, I mean, and and, and Gerardo Salasco is not a small looking guy, he's, you know, especially with the beard, he's kind of like a, 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 you know, burly guy. When he, when that guy says to him, I can't let you take the kid, mm. he, Ty, he gives this reality, he's like, the fuck you say? <laughs> and like, it was, it was like the greatest, because like, I, th- I have a feeling, I feel like I would react the same way. I appreciate good citizens, you know, whatever, but. You're, you can't let me take the kid? Yeah, I, you know? <laughs> well, so let me ask both of you. Both of you guys as dads now. Okay, so imagine any one of your kids at six years old and a person comes up to you and you're aware. You're aware of the Amber Alert. So this isn't just coming out of nowhere for you. Sure, I'm at the you're, fruit stand. Right? You're aware. I, you know, no, no. Now you're in the middle Mustang. of town. You're in the middle of town. Sure, and sure. these this crowd comes up to you. What do you do? Boy, uh, I'm not a very physical presence, and I'm not a very quick thinker with lies. So <laughs> I could only just say, "This is my kid." I don't know what to tell you. This is my kid. It would be a pretty sad display. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, Mike. I, I mean, I, I think I would match. I, I am kind of a bigger guy. Uh, I, I am not one. I am more of a joker than a fighter, but. I think if it got physical, I'd get physical without a problem in that situation to like kind of defend my kid and, and myself, but more. My oh, kid. sure. I mean, if but, it got to that point, I'm just I saying I, mean, I, I couldn't like rapping. assume a fighting stance. And be right, right, like, right. Like, I wouldn't, like, yeah, I wouldn't step back Lawrence Fishburne in the Matrix style and like wipe my nose and say, come on. But but I, I think I would kind of just sit down and wait, you know, be like, you just you stay over there. We'll stay here and wait for someone to come sort it out kind of thing. There's no part uh, of me that would ever lose contact with the kid like when he lets him off of his back i would have held him on the front of me like i don't care how big the kid is i i have big kids at this point i i there's no part of me that wouldn't have like bear hugged the kid yeah no yeah like, i would have like i would like, take us as a package <laughs> right like a vulcan death pinch yes. on the kid not letting go no no yes. he would have like i would have had an arm and had him like behind me like i would have been like a shield like i, I would have not tried to run because that's not going to work out actually think Evan Witten was he was fantastic in this episode he continues just to be a great kid when he says fruit with all of the disgust he can possibly muster <laughs> when all he wants is fucking french fries I totally understand that that is maybe the most kid thing I've ever heard on television and I absolutely loved it but no no yeah no I would definitely I, I mean you can't run in that situation it's not going to work out for you the best you could do is kind of keep yourself between your kid and the crowd and and wait for someone to come help you sort it out that you know? woman 
screwed up the whole thing because so he, he can't push her because then what are you going to do? So, and then she comes and gets the kid. So he's, he is kind of screwed because then he's got two guys on him and he got yeah. the woman. And well, she's just like beckoning him like, come here. And for whatever reason. Well, she goes over and grabs. I, I know. He yeah, totally, yeah, she kinda he's, grabs him. he's move, making his moves there. So, yeah. I mean, I think this is such a real world example again of how tech can be used against the, another example was that the plane scene, you guys. I first of all, I have I have been on a plane since since COVID, and so for me to see a people having any conversation on the plane because that ain't happening anymore, and b no masks seems so weird because I'll tell you now that the, the United people at least say if you're going to take your mask off to eat because this is what people were doing, they're like I'm eating. And they would just take their mask off and leave it off for four hours. <laughs> the steward guy goes, you need to take your mask, take a bite and put it back on and take a bite and put it back on. <laughs> like he demonstrated, like instead, there's no safety. Here, here's a weird thing. There's no safety instructions anymore. They don't do that. They don't stand at the front and show you how to use their life preserver and stuff. That's all gone. They don't do that anymore. What they do do is say, if you're wearing a face shield, you still have to wear a mask. If you eat food, you take a bite, you put it on. You take a bite, you put it on. Like all they do is talk about masks. This whole scene did seem like from another like whole lifetime ago. It it was jarring. It, it was scared jarring the shit out of me. That the bizarre. tech of it all. It was it was jarring how bizarre it was seeing them all together like that. That's how like just in ten months or less, like seven months, eight months, how much the world has changed. That whole scene seems so jarring. Someone chit chatting next to me without a mask on. Get out of my face, lady! And stop being so nosy looking at my shit. But like, <laughs> it's not happening at all. I mean, I can I can tell you. Get out of my face! But okay, let's stop flying in planes. I, this is like the third time I feel like we've seen Paul and Shay get up in a plane at this point stop taking planes go get on a train or something i don't know but get closer to the ground i would like a, a pilot to chime in in the first episode when they fly the first time and the plane is going through some choppy weather or whatever and he says i had them turn off the avionics i would like to know since they're obviously in a jet because you don't hear that of a prop plane is that even a thing can you is that even legal i mean can you fly a jet Without the the instruments turned on, you just kind of wing it with, with a jet. <laughs> Pun intended. Yes. <laughs> but um, I'd like to know that though, because you know, I want I want uh, some some realism here. I don't if it's, it's just a choppy flight or is it just unflyable at that point? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know, I know. In order to get your pilot's license, you have to be able to fly without instruments. I mean, that that's a requirement because in case of catastrophic instrument failure, you still have to be able to. You have to be able to like use your eyes. That's why. That's why I can never be in the Air Force because like my eyesight's so poor. It was it dashed a young dream that I had. <laughs> but yeah, but so I know you have to be able to fly without instruments. That was one of the things that did JFK Junior. in right. I mean, it was yes. His avionics weren't working, and he got himself turned upside down. Uh, you know, sadly, but happens a lot and happens a lot. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, if you're rich enough, I feel like maybe you can get a pilot to do anything you want. Is that the maybe the point? <laughs> maybe. If you own the plane, you know, you can just Harrison Ford it around. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, we could just disappear from the skies for a while. Don't worry, just stay out of all of the flight, the commercial flight paths. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Scary. 
yeah, I don't know how people are still using planes. And, you know, Sidra must not have really fully appreciated what was happening at Biomotion Dynamics for her to get on a plane and travel back to Pakistan. She couldn't. She could not have possibly understood the the extent of Next and what was going on. But who would? I mean, not would any point. one of us Because it was really... two weeks ago yeah. that yeah, she yeah, was yeah. sent sent back yeah none of us would believe that this could happen before before we get to to dr parish and and biomotion dynamics so i wanted to go back to uh ethan and and the family dynamic for one more second because i already talked about how i thought uh you know evan Witten continues to do a great job the the fruit line i thought was really funny but i wanted to give the show a shout out and i wanted to give him a shout out too that they haven't dropped the uh, what eliza did to him like emotionally Last week, and this was a thing that we talked about on the podcast was, you know, he wasn't in real physical danger with that conversation with Eliza, but she was saying some things that would be very scarring to a young kid uh, about his parents. And they didn't drop that. It was clearly on his mind in this episode. Both of his parents appreciated that it was on his mind. And and it, so it had consequences. And I like that. You know, uh, serialized TV is is the only kind of TV I really watch. It's the only kind of TV I really enjoy at this point in my life. Uh, so I like a show that... Uh, you if you can't you can't turn into episode three and and figure out why without watching episode two like why is he upset like what happened like you're you're getting rewarded for watching the episodes and paying attention to understand his emotional state in this this week's episode it's so almost I, anticipating I, a, a binge coming later yeah i mean some tv shows are still made though to be weekly though because of the the good cliffhanger feeling and so you could talk about it right when you binge a show like if you were to binge a show like this we wouldn't have there would be no reason to do this podcast there would be no nothing to discuss <laughs> you know like i want to know i mean not to get to the end of the episode but i want to know who the fucking honduras guy is what the whole jailbreak thing is does it apply to to shay's h h scar on her shoulder what's the story there like now we have a full week to talk about it and hypothesize and theorize about it. If it was a binge, we'd have three minutes tops, you know, to know what it was about. So Pluses and minuses of binge watching versus weekly watching. This was a thing in Hollywood when Caroline when Caroline and I did Hollywood, which was a seven episode series on Netflix. That show should have been a weekly release. There were there were endings to that show that were set up to leave you hanging in a classic, you know, weekly show fashion. But you only had to wait literally 30 seconds for the next episode to start and it got resolved. And so it completely lost all of its impact. So a show like this, I think is definitely best for a weekly, uh, a weekly release. But you mentioned the Honduras guy. Uh, since I had seen this episode twice, when Shay starts telling Paul about the, um, the cow tail story and the dog and kind mm -hmm. of her grandmother and all that kind of stuff, do you suppose that was foreshadowing, just bring up her, her family from where they came from at all was just bringing that into the conversation now so that Tattoo Man has kind of a, a slot to fit in when he shows up in the near future. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. I had had this whole idea that perhaps that he was somebody that had personally, physically attacked Shay that doesn't preclude him from being a family member. But I definitely felt like there was like some real physical harm done to Shay from him. So as Fernanda will say in the interview that you guys will listen to at the end of our analysis here, um, she references this situation as this is an example of next having no mercy. To me, as a woman, I'm taking – when you say that to me, there's something about that that comes off very – like this is not just somebody who has – 
wronged her in like a financial way or in some sort of like wasn't a very good dad this is like somebody who has physically harmed her that's my psyche when you get to know mercy so there's something about this guy and i kept looking at him i don't know if he's old enough to be dad i don't know if he's just brother i don't know where he falls in maybe first husband i don't know yeah i don't have a guess either family feels right what do you but think there, there was that moment wasn't there a moment when she was when the camera lingered on a on a scar or or something? Yeah, yeah. In the in the very first episode, right there is a lingering on a, a scar in the shape of an H. Okay. Uh, and we and we know she's from Honduras at this point. Well, we know she's Honduran. We don't really know anything else about her at this point. Yeah. I mean, we were in Honduras tonight, and there's an H shaped scar on her back, and a very scary looking man. And has it didn't from look jail like a white Honduras. collar prison. Wh- who do no. you think he is, Mike? I, I think he's family. I, I think father. I think uncle. I think blood relative. Scary man. Because I, I think that's an interesting setup. She's an FBI agent. She has the scar. I think it's some kind of violent family member that either drove her to the FBI or was in retaliation for her her career decisions. But whatever it is, yeah, I, I, I feel strongly violent past family member. I'm sifting through my, my TV files in my brain. What show was it where a woman lies? Golden Girls. An adopted brother who is like a gang member because it would have precluded her from being able to be on the force. Okay, this is silly. It's the rookie. Do you remember that? Uh, Do you remember that? Kind of. Like there was a whole like arc where she, because she gets completely, there's like punishment for it because she doesn't, she doesn't come clean on there. There's like a background check-ish thing that you have to do. She doesn't ever say that they, they like lived in the same house. They were like basically foster kids in the same home. And she, she doesn't, she doesn't reveal that. And it eventually comes back to bite her. Why do I say all that? Even though we have CM, who I know is a felon, I'm wondering what could be the connections and how exactly she works with her being an FBI agent and having any idea, at least in TV world, that if you have connections like this, could you be in the FBI? Is that a thing? Because couldn't you just be, right? Isn't that some sort of um, like vulnerability, basically? Yes and no. But I mean, if it's something where it was a father or relative or brother or something like that, and she testified against him. Well, that would probably not preclude her if she had demonstrated clearly that she repudiated that kind of lifestyle. It probably wouldn't preclude her or it's very possible. It's a secret. It's a dark secret that is not come to light. That's I mean, Hondur- where I'm kind of Honduras is a long way away from Washington, D.C. Um, <laughs> so who knows, you know, who knows what she's had to admit which then, I mean, this this show has focused on exploiting weaknesses and pressure valves of people. You can see where if if Next can't get to her through Ty or through Ethan, and it has failed at both of those now, that maybe it's going to get at her through exposing family secrets. You know, so I had I had the question watching this scene in the end of tonight's episode, which again, no dialogue. I mean, this is like a three minute, four minute sequence with no dialogue other than some screaming and some muffled cries of guards. Did he know that this was happening, or was he just taking advantage of? Oh, I've heard a click on my on my cell, and and is just taking advantage of what seems to be a, a chaotic situation, or was he aware of? Uh, this whole situation going down. Just the implausibility of any foreknowledge uh, making good sense seems like he's just 
opportunistic. His door went click and he's like, what's this? And he goes over and pulls it open and, and just pieces it together from there. I, I would go with that, except for the fact that the, when we next see him, he's staring, he's on a very nice plane, sitting very front in the plane, maybe in first class even, and he's and he's flipping through pictures of the Salazar family. So I was kind of on taking advantage of a situation until I saw that scene, because I, it seemed very coordinated at that point. Or he was connected in the outside world, but just not connected enough to stay out of prison. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, I mean, it's the same guy. I mean, they they went through the trouble of zooming in on his uh, Calvary uh, uh, crucifixion tattoos on his back. So, I mean, they make they go out of their way to show you it's the same guy. So, I don't know. I'm leaning towards this is part of a coordinated thing. Somehow he, through either with Next directly or through some inter- intermediary, got hooked up with Next to coordinate this whole thing. That's kind of my, that's my current theory right now without having yet watched the next episode. How about you, Caroline? What's your feeling on whether or not this was a coordinated uh, jailbreak or if he just lucked out in the situation? 100% just lucked out. You know, if you're if you're in, in it looked like individual cells in pretty serious isolation. They, those weren't just like jail bar kind of things. They were like solid wall kind of doors. I think this guy is a is a severe felon. I don't I don't think that this is a a uh, you know, burglar. <laughs> Who got locked up? I think that this guy is a really bad guy. He scares me. Yeah, he scared me too. Without even really seeing too much of him, just yeah. Hey, you seen that like CM had a lot of tattoos, and we know that he is had to pass with white supremacy, and then seeing that this guy had all these neck tattoos. Where do you think we're going with that? What group could he possibly belong to, or is this just gang related? Or I know it was like a religious crucifix, but it was kind of an elaborate scene. For me, I think it's just bad guys like this are associated with lots of ink, uh, and even more so when they go to prison. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see an obvious white supremacy like Honduras no, jailbreak no, 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 guy. No, 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 no. I wasn't connection. suggesting they were linked. I, it was just interesting that they that would be wild if, <laughs> if there were a lot of Honduran white supremacy groups out there. All right, speaking of shadowy. Uh, motivations and people who we don't know there was a dude looking at abby as she was going back into her building who's this dude for me the first guess that came to my mind was someone working for ted for for her uncle ted and zaba and i don't know why that was my first guess but that was my first guess because she has the pipeline and communication line to her father which is something that Ted seemed desperate to know about in this episode. Yeah. So, so it struck me that if it, the thinking is Ted can't figure his way out of a paper bag without relying on his brother. So if Paul, if, you know, if he needs a, a line on Paul, keeping an eye on Abby seems to be a good way to do that. I also thought that first, but then I thought it could also be Paul. <laughs> He's trying to get a line on her and make sure that, he knows where she is. I mean, the episode starts after the cold open on the airplane with him interrupting her date. And she wonders how that happens. She wonders if it's the fact that she has a Zava phone and he has some backdoor into tracking Zava hardware. But maybe she he just has a man following her. I, I vote for that because I feel like that she actually like asked that several times. Like, how are you tracking me? How are you tracking me? You know, so then to see that someone was watching her. Didn't actually feel that weird that it could have definitely been Paul. 
Well, and also maybe plausible then, because he, he says, I have eyes on her, yeah. which if, if his concern is her safety and he knows he can't get her to go to the, you know, to a, a doomsday prepper house or something, uh, at least keeping an eye on her in the city maybe feels like the next best way to, to do that. Can I ask you guys, if you had a family member, and I'm not, I'm not just going to say dad, but you had a family member that you at least somewhat trusted right somewhat there's some degree of like you 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 know them and whatnot and they ran up to you and they gave you money and instructions and said i need you to go and i need you to go now would you go i guess it wouldn't be sort of trusted it would have to be like well the relationship that abby has to paul what would you consider that fractured not one based in trust would you guys go or not i can't blame her for not going because he's not telling her anything he's only sounding like a crazy person Every time he she sees her, it's, it's in these short bursts, and he just doesn't sound coherent, and the, except for the fact that the message is crazy shit, you know? Okay. So you don't go? I can't blame her for not. No. Do you go? If I'm Abby, no. Okay. Not yet. I was asking if you're Paul. Come on. If I'm Paul? Yes. Why Paul Daly, th- though, not Paul LeBlanc. <laughs> yeah, if you're Paul, you, Paul, and a family member runs up to you, gives you money, gives you instructions, do you go or not? Uh, I probably don't. I probably don't. Mike? I think I would only because, I don't know, I'm inclined to believe crazy stories. You know, if a really smart person that I trusted said, I can't get into it now, but here's a lot of cash, go far away to this place and hide, like... I don't know. I think I'd kind of be inclined to to believe them if it was someone of like Paula Blanc's intellect and and beat on the world. You know, I don't know. I feel like I would probably be uh, inclined to believe it. But but that being said, I don't think that's the relationship that Abby and Paul have. I think it makes I think it's entirely right that she didn't go. Because he seems to her like a, like he's just in one manic episode to the, to the next. So you didn't say if my family had like a blending of like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, if that person came and said, here's some money, go hide. I would, if that person did it, yeah. okay, yeah. You'd go? Yeah, but if it's just like, you know, Cousin uncle, Doug. Uncle, yeah, Cousin uh, yeah, Doug. Cousin Doug. <laughs> <laughs> then no, I'm, I'm you not. You gotta go, you know, but like even if it's Doc Brown in Back to the Future, I don't know that I'd go. Oh my God, I well, fucking he's... go, you guys. I fucking go because what do you have to lose? What do you like? Oh no, I have to wake up and go to work tomorrow. Like, fuck that shit. Abby's I'm, trying to I'm get buying some an dick. old car. She's not getting <laughs> she, that dick. That guy's gone. He is burned. That guy was a dude right. anyway. He's totally burned, right? But she, but because because of her because dad. Because of dad. Though, I know. Girlfriend I got it. needs some servicing, but, and dad is. Oh, wait, where mm, is she going to get that from? Like a grizzly bear in the woods? Bzz. Girlfriend needs to be in the city. No, here's the deal. I definitely go buy the old car because who cares? That is not hurting anybody. Right? I'm definitely going to go buy the old car. Hopefully by that time I have some more communique. Right? Or there's some other signal that some shit's going on. But I would I would even start heading that direction. I would start probably trying to figure out, like, where do I need to go? I would take it seriously. I'm a very trusting person. And I guess I want to say... That, that was my take, too. My, my take, too, is I would probably go, for sure. What's the harm in going? I mean, do I think that my dad has set up, like, a, like a you know, bear trap for me to go get killed in the woods? <laughs> I don't think so. It may be for nothing, but maybe I'm just watching TV in the woods for a while. Right. I, again, not to make, because this will be, I think, the third week now that I've made a comparison to Fringe. But there's a thing where Walter in Fringe is always, you know, going off on these tangents. And Pacey, who plays his son in the show, (laughs) 
is always like, Walter, you know, you're fucking crazy. And Walter was crazy sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it made no sense. It was complete non sequiturs that seemed nothing. But every now and then there was like a crackerjack, you know, prize worth of like great knowledge hidden in there. And you kind of learned to not completely dismiss him at the same time. But you also burn. It's, it's a very boy who cried wolf situation, though. If you rant and rave so, so much, you lose credibility over time. And I think that's where Paul and Abby are at in the show. She's had a lifetime of broken promises. She's even, she's even waiting around for him. You get the impression that's a lifetime of that for Abby. I, so from her point of view, what's the harm in going? It's just another fucking broken promise from this manic, crazy person. You know, I don't want his money. I don't want his name. I don't want anything to do with him. I just want to be left alone. I take his money. She's and down I, about that money. I'll tell you what. my life. <laughs> if I can't get that dick, I'm going to get that money. Let's get us to Dartmouth, guys, because there was a lot there that I think was really fascinating. And I think that you tech guys would be pretty interested in all uh, the real life tech that they had going on there. So what was much your, fun stuff in this place. What was so your favorite toy least favorite toy that you saw in the toy shop that was robotics the heart printer amazing yeah i i don't know that they're actually printing hearts but i know that they're trying to get there and so the the concept of a place that's researching that and trying to get there and find the right materials and just has to do it over and over and over until they get it right that's uh cool to me i know that you know on screen it's, it's probably the equivalent of like the Jacob's Ladder in, in Frankenstein's lab, just just providing some visual interest because it's not really not really where we're at right now. But still, conceptually, it's cool. It really reminded me of the printers, the uh, the bio printers that they use in Westworld. Mm-hmm. Watching yeah. watching it watching it like uh, lay the heart uh, like line by line kind of thing. It really reminded me of watching the body uh, shells get made in Westworld, and I thought that was really cool. For me, it was the robot dogs. Uh, I thought they were I thought they were very cute. I am on Paul LeBlanc's side here. I think I am Team Robot Dog is cute. I wish I had a head instead of a hand for a head. That was kind of creepy. <laughs> That's great. And I liked it less when it unplugged Dr. Parrish's tube. Uh, it was bad dog. You know, not a good boy. Uh, but overall, I thought they were very, very cute. And I would not mind that. You know, it was, you know, I always uh, I always think of like Rocky Five. When uh, Polly gets the the robot maid, you know that that comes like spitting in the room. Yeah, that was like kind of like this was like the next like the twenty first century cutting edge version of the robot from Rocky Five. Have me. you seen those videos where they're where the army guys like kick those things over and then they jump right back up? No, but that sounds terrifying. Yeah, it is a little. Yeah, because they they like you know like walk on a balance beam, and then an army guy comes and kicks them over, and then they fall over, and then they get back up, and then they keep coming. It's like, like they what are you up. what are you trading these things for? <laughs> you know exactly what they're. Trading I know killbots. Yes, yes, <laughs> they're kill pooches for God's sake. Right? Yeah, no, for sure. I hated those robot dogs. They open door doors and they get you drinks. They are not kill dogs. Mm. They mm. can just be mm. converted into kill dogs. Mm. Mm. Mm, it's like Jessica Rabbit. Open doors and and uh, and get me drinks. Right, take my tracheotomy thing out. It's bad news. It, it's like Jessica Rabbit, though. Right, they're not bad. They're just drawn that way. You know, they're the robot dogs aren't inherently bad. They're just hacked to be turned that way. Uh, kind of like Doctor Parrish himself. I don't know about oh, you guys. Wow. I felt like such a dummy. I was genuinely surprised to learn that he wasn't just like a bad guy with darting eyes, but that he had been like actually hacked by AI uh, by by Next. 
I was kind of shocked by that. That was a twist that I did not see coming, and I feel like I should have. I feel like it was kind of out there for me to guess, but I didn't. What about you guys? Were you were you actually taken by surprise? The eye thing from, yeah. from last week yeah, yeah, was yeah. probably him frantically trying to get control of his system back. Because yeah. his eye his glance is what would engage the very you know, the various squares and, and things on his system. So mm-hmm. that's him scared out of his mind trying to get his his, his chair back. Yeah. yeah, well, it de- it definitely it definitely recategorizes what that scene because it looks like he's just scanning like a mad person, right, at the end yeah. of the episode. But now, in retrospect, yeah, I, I see that. What about you, Caroline? I think definitely that I picked up on the eye movement at a different point, and I think Paul did too when he said we need to come back at night because there was a point when he was using his eyes in a little bit of a different way when he was saying he was saying the the machine was saying the words like thank you Paul we'll be in touch but but Richard's one eye was like doing this move that was like this isn't really happening the way it looks like it's happening and that's right when Paul says i think we need to come back later i to me Paul picked up on that Paul LeBlanc right not you <laughs> <laughs> Very different calls. Uh, well, so here's the thing. So I thought, I assumed that Dr. Parrish, like the other people we have seen in the show, was being manipulated by Next, either through a grant or, or something like that was forcing his hand, but that he was acting of his own volition. It, but the part that got me and that really struck me was that like his, actually, he had been kind of body snatched. That mm-hmm. that was the twist for me that really, that kind of bowled me over. And then when he comes back and he gets like rebooted and he's doing the help me, help me with the, with the robotic voice over and over. I found that extremely heartbreaking, though very kind of emotionally and, and really kind of well played, I think, on the show's part. I think they uh, did an interesting job. I think that while I applaud the idea that they are including people with different physical challenges and disabilities, I definitely think that this walks a little bit of a line because the same as like, in an earlier episode when when Paul LeBanc says, I have Asperger's. No, I'm just a, I'm just a jerk or whatever. That right. walks a line, you know, that you've got sure. to be a little bit thoughtful about. And I think that that part too, it's realistic, but you're also going to twang some hearts. You know, people yeah. who actually have reliance on machines in these ways. I mean, you're really, you really are in a very realistic and that and applaud that, but also right. very realistic. You know, we know people with traits. This is like not like a fake thing or like a thing that's like so outside of our world. I was like very much going slow with old Richard's storyline, although I do have to say by killing him off. They absolutely raised the stakes to like a whole nother level. And I did Mm -hmm. look over and say like, wow, this show is willing to kill people off. And just in the same way that like you don't often kill off like a baby, you very rarely kill off a person with special needs. That's also kind of like a little bit of a protected moment where you're like, you don't do that. Especially via the way that's keeping them alive. And when he's trying to get the robot dog, like, to stop and, like, to heal and to, like, power down, and it's not. And mm-hmm. the helplessness of the voice, like, the computer voice was kind of, like, helpless as he grabs up. The whole thing was very distressing. Paul LeBlanc says to him, you know, what a rig. You need to get Netflix on that thing. And he says, yeah, it lets me use everything except for my legs. That actually made me cock my head as a little too flip. But, again, I don't know if someone in that position maybe would have that kind of sense of humor that they live with. I think that, that one's yeah. probably fine, to be honest with you. Like, that didn't come off, like, nearly as... Well, Paul LeBlanc comp- Compliments his sense of humor at that point. Yeah, so I was like, oh, no, okay, totally. maybe I'm just reading the rumor on that. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that one, that was okay. Which is, I mean, like I said, walk in the line, just walk in the line, you know, right, and right. that's great in some ways. And again, applaud diversity, applaud inclusion, applaud all that kind of stuff. And 
maybe even saying not treating this character with special gloves like, oh, you know, this person's so delicate uh, because we're presenting this particular situation. I think that that was very different. And I guess I'm unsure of how I feel about that because I guess I've never seen that before. You've never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? There's a guy in a wheelchair that Leatherface chases down. Same kind of moment where you're like, are they going to really kill the guy in the wheelchair? And they do. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, was, took, took things to a certain level, like you're saying. Yeah, it was just, it was a moment that was different for me. And I did think it raised the stakes in a way that really lets you know that everybody was vulnerable. I mean, it certainly made me feel like Ethan, we had talked in our last episode about how Ethan wasn't really in danger because he was just talking to the Eliza in his bedroom. And it did let me know that, you know what, you guys, I think they might kill Ethan. That wouldn't be off the table in the same way that I would have thought previously. Mm. Once I saw that they would kill Richard, that let me know, I don't know that Ethan is a safe character anymore. I I feel the only one who's actually safe on this show from a behind-the-scenes, inside-baseball TV show watcher way, Shay Salazar is the only character who's actually safe on the show. John Slattery is a big paycheck. It makes to- they've already established him with a ticking clock. It makes total sense to me that he has some kind of blaze of glory moment at the end of the season, you know, and, and everyone else is kind of, I mean, it's, this is a, this is a John Slattery, Fernanda Andrade led series. I mean, I think there are strong supporting cast here, but I think they are the two leads of the show. And so because of that, I think she's the only one who's actually really safe. I 100% agree with you. This is a show that's going to, you know, it's going to pull the trigger if it needs to pull the trigger for a character. Two more things. One, just because we've talked a bunch about how the show does not follow the obvious TV trope. I was impressed that when Shay is in the hallway and the robot dogs kind of are coming up on her, she one shots the dog and it kills. Like, you know, she's boom, boom, and the dog is dead and the other two back away, which I thought was kind of funny. (laughs) I think in most TV shows, that's like an action moment for the heroine you know, with a gun and she's badass and, you know, it becomes like a firefight against the robot dogs or something like that. I was impressed that the show just kind of dispatched it in a very professional way. I think it's just, again, with this idea that they're not over glamorizing or her special agent FBI character and, and not taking like cheap action shots. You know, they're just kind of, this is how an FBI agent would deal with the situation. I don't even know if that, if that pinged for you guys. I compared this show a lot to person of person of interest and John or root would have pulled out a submachine gun and just, <laughs> you know, laid waste to the room. So yeah, that, that, and that, that was, a, you know, people like that show and that was a very TV type type show. And, and this went another way. The only other thing I was curious about only because we have Caroline here, we did not have her in the interview. And this is something we touched upon in the interview. I was Caroline. I was wondering what you thought about the Shea storyline with her mom guilt in this episode, because this is something I feel like has come up in other shows that we've covered. The double standard of a mom goes to work and has guilt about it, about not being there for her kid and, and worrying about it. I mean, she, she talks about it with Paul on the plane. She has the long conversation with Ethan. The, the machine picks up on it at the end of the episode when it starts reciting the prayers that it's recorded with her and Ethan, which I think is a total nod to the fact of her insecurities as a mother. But we don't ever see that storyline with a dad. And this is something we, we talked to Fernanda about, uh, you know, what she thought about the storyline. But as a woman with kids who has had a job and, uh, you know, and, and, and been outside the house and maybe, you know, has had that experience with families or not. I was curious what you thought about it, you know, as a storyline on TV. 
I think that they have been trying to bring up this subject in a variety of shows. We all just covered Away over on Netflix, which tried to also approach this subject with some new eyes in terms of like, you know, well, do we need to still be talking about this? I can't put myself in in dad's shoes. So for me, I kind of just look at it like a parent thing. Like if you're going to be gone a lot, you are constantly, you know, apologizing to your kiddo and being like, I'm going to be right back and I'm going to be safe and all that kind of stuff. Especially I think if you're in a position like this, like law enforcement, gosh, I think you give lots of extra kisses every day because you're in a very dangerous profession. Maybe it's better to ask you to. My question would be a little bit twisted and say, why don't dads feel bad about being away from their kids? Why is it cliche that it's the woman who feels bad about being away from the kids? You guys are both young enough men that it's not like you grew up only with this idea that men are the breadwinners and women stay at home. It's not like you guys are of that generation. So why do they keep trying to tell that story to us? And why do you men kind of accept that? Wow. You're asking a very big question. Well, they're kind of relying on the idea that you guys are okay with it mm -hmm. and that I'm not. And I guess knowing you two, I don't really think you are okay with being away all the time from the house. So is it almost more offensive to you guys than it right. is to me? Because it's it's like saying, well, of course you men aren't going to miss your children at all. And this woman is going to miss them. But I'm kind of like, don't all parents kind of miss their kids? Well, I don't think I don't have a problem with the show doing the storyline. And again, we did have a big discussion about this on Away. And 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 we I think the general consensus among us was that Away did not handle this topic particularly well. I actually like how Next is doing this because it's not incapacitating Shay. Like, she's still kicking ass. She's still doing her job. But it's something on her mind, which is which I, I agree with you, I think, is a parent concern. I think there's a lot of credence to your question. We never see this, this storyline for a dad. Even in even in cop shows, even in cop, you know, or you know, where the dad is a cop or an FBI agent, putting or or an army, you know, military person, you know, constantly putting it's their life in danger. It's all very duty driven. Yeah, it's and it very really and if it comes up, it's always in like a "Don't you cry, son," you know, "Daddy's got to go save the country," you know, and like punches his arm and tells him to sack up. But is that real? I mean, do you guys feel that way, or do you guys feel like no? When I, if if I work an eighteen-hour job, I feel terrible to not have seen my kids. Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness uh, on HBO. One of the episodes in the four-episode miniseries covered the idea of overwork the concept of working too much in the episode he talks about how he feels like he's always failing at something and he works you know 12 15 18 hour days and he always feels like he's you know failing at home he's failing his daughter all that they sit they taught they show all of the things that he missed her first step her first words her first this her first that and you you feel the weight of it weighing on him not being there and the idea that because he's trying to succeed at his job he feels like he's failing at home and when he does take time to be at home he feels like he's failing at work this is and i said it on on that podcast that we did for the love it or leave it this is something i feel every day and have felt every day for 16 years as a lawyer i have worked insane hours my entire career 12 15 18 hour days were not unusual without being home less so now uh, because I'm working from home now because of COVID. Um, but yeah, you know, when you have a three hour commute and a 12 hour workday, like you're not seeing your kid very much. It's something I wrestle with constantly and feeling like I'm not being there. Do I need to see it on TV? I don't know. I guess I wish, I guess if it's going to be brought on TV, I guess it, I wish it would not always be the female. That's the mom who has to have the guilt and, and maybe see it both ways. 
I'm kind of over being like insulted by the whole concept because there is, of course, some layer of truth that that a that any parent would feel bad about not getting a chance. Gosh, things like first steps and first words. No one wants to miss those things. So, but at the same time, I think I mean they did an interesting job on this show because they did swap it to where Ty where Ty is at home and is is doing the job of getting, you know, carpool at school and homework and stuff like that. So they did swap roles, which I think is interesting and great. And I think that it's um something to be commended to show something in a little different way and not make like a big like wah, wah, wah. Like it's not like Mr. Mom or some bullshit. Like it just is, you know, like they're not putting a huge spotlight on that fact, you know, which is great. You know, maybe they're using Paula Blanc, though, as the male counterpart to that, though. This is a guy who is now paying the cats in the crazy song you know consequences of not having been there he is shay he is shay at the end of at the end of that career when the child has grown and it's too late to play dad at that point because so here's the interesting thing shot. though mike because i'm so curious about this because you just said that and both of you guys have had no problem knocking paul leblanc for the fact that he's an asshole he was getting a server when his kid was born and you guys were both like sort of like piling on about like what a shit father he's been right he's not been there for her mm -hmm. yet it's like mom's sad because she can't be there well it's expected that dad goes to work but now we're like completely looking at, at the dad here at the end of the day and saying well shame on you where were you and it's like oh my goodness <laughs> to be clear i don't know that i'm shitting on paul for those things as much as trying to i was trying to express why i why i appreciate abby feels that way I adhere to the idea that if I'm going to work, I'm going to provide for my family. Like, and that's the job I have. Like I worked the 18 hour days. Like there were times I did not see my family for days. You know, I would, I was home while they were asleep and I was out again after they, you know, before they were awake kind of thing. And that did that for a long time. It was what I had to do to earn money to provide for my family so that they could have a life that I wanted them to have. That's why there was guilt. If I was home for all of the fucking things, I wouldn't have felt bad, but I miss things. And so I'm not, I don't think I'm knocking Paul for his decisions as much as I am sympathizing for why Abby may feel the way she feels. Just, just to be clear. I still think if you're going to talk double standard, like that's the double standard of it all. Somehow it's expected that dads go to work, yet they're shits for missing stuff. Moms are expected to be at home with the kids and should have guilt for going out and work. It's like, oh my God, where the hell are any of us supposed to be? <laughs> are we all supposed to be with our kids all the time? Or are we all supposed to be working out? Like, what are we supposed to be doing? But again, this is the cats in the cradle thing though, right? Listen to the song. Like the dad doesn't realize what he's missing. You get the impression he doesn't have the guilt while the things are happening because he's caught up in his own world. So I think that's the question for Paul LeBlanc is when he was off buying servers in Asia while his daughter was being born, did he feel bad that he wasn't home? That he was missing the birth of his daughter or was he only thinking about the servers? That's the question at the end of the day that he has to wrestle with. You know, that's that's the conversation he has to have with himself. It's easy when it's all said and done and, and you've been thrown out of your company and you have nothing else to do with your time to sit back and think about all of the things you did wrong and then have, you know, feel bad about it. But that's where Paul LeBlanc is now. We don't know how Paul felt at the time that stuff was happening, whether or not he gave a shit. You know, and you get the distinct impression that he did not feel bad. He was all about his job. It wasn't like he was doing it to provide for his family. He was doing it because he wanted to. Next week on Dr. Phil. <laughs> 
I don't know. Well, I think well, that that's a double standard, right? That's the whole fucking double standard because the assumption is that Paul didn't want to be there. Because even you said he's off buying servers. He was at work. He was at work. Again, we're imparting what we don't know, though. We know totally. We know Shay is off doing her job, but she feels bad about the time she's away. It would be interesting to see a Shay be like, fuck it, I gotta go. I'm going to work. Get my gun. You know, like where she doesn't care. That's an, inter- that's an interesting story. You never see the woman being like, you know, you're, you're second best kid. I'm protecting the country. You never see that storyline. It's like Aaron Brockovich. She leaves them with the with boyfriend of hers. <laughs> Remember? She's always gone doing her job. Yeah. So I think the question is, it would be interesting to get a flashback to Paul LeBlanc as a young man and, and see, was he just off doing his job? Which I appreciate. He could have sent an underling. He could have sent Ted. He could have sent other people to go buy those saver servers in Asia. But he chose to go because he likes the food in Asia and didn't really. It was like, oh, you know, I didn't have my daughter's birth on my calendar, so I missed it. That's the question that we don't really know the answer to. So we're kind of guessing at what his motivations are. I definitely wanted your take on that storyline, Caroline. But we did bring this question up and a whole bunch of others to Fernanda Andrade when we spoke to her. And I hope you enjoy the interview, which is coming up right now. Hi, Hi. how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. Good, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm Mike Caputo. That's Paul Daly. Hello. Hi, Paul. Hi. We're doing a weekly podcast. We're doing cast and, you know, creatives interview every week along with the podcast. And cool. so we're very excited to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm so stoked you guys are doing this. Thanks for having me. Caputo, are you Italian? I am Italian. Oh, uh, that's like half of my family. My mom's entire side is Marcucho. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> We t- we talked to Erardo yesterday, and he was he was like, "Oh, my last name is Salasco." <laughs> you know, he's, I was like, "Hey, Paisan, how you doing? What's going on?" <laughs> I just watched all of The Sopranos, so it feels very, it feels very close uh, to my heart. <laughs> Those are New Jersey Italians. I am oh, New York I, Italian. I, I'm sorry. It's, it's a little I'm bit sorry. different. <laughs> My family is in labor unions, not in sanitation. Mm. It's very different. <laughs> That's a really well, important distinction. I'm glad. It, well, it, I'm it glad is what you're here. <laughs> well, you know, cement shoes fit all the same. Paul's in Texas, yeah. so he, you know, he thinks I'm an alien all to begin with. Oh yeah, <laughs> then probably same alien here too. We are already rolling, so we have uh, all of our uh, Italian exchange uh, on tape. <laughs> we ever need that? Oh no! We've handed we've handed in our lira. We're getting back some gabagol and some <laughs> and, and you know we're good. Eh, what are you gonna uh, do? Our, Hey, what are you going to do? Uh, Oh, my God. All right. (laughs) Game face. Now the next part. I know, game face. Deep breath, deep breath. I'm about to start doing Godfather quotes, and that's not going to work out well for anyone. Oh, God. I'm on a set, I'm on a set. Fernanda comes to us on the day of my daughter's wedding. Hey, that's really good. I'm so, I'm so blessed to have you here. Thank you so much. Now on the next podcast, we have Shay Salazar, that very special FBI agent, uh, joining us, Fernanda Andrade. Fernanda, thank you so much for coming out and joining us tonight. How are thank you doing? Thank you. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Personally, I'm fascinated by the casting process of a show like this, especially a big show like this. It's going to get a lot of attention this fall. Can you tell us, like, walk us through the casting? I mean, you're, you're one of the two leads, and just walk us through how you came about the role of Shay. Yeah, I mean, I came about it in the real regular old way, 
where I, I went in and I auditioned. It was it was a little bit of jumping through hoops, not in the audition itself, but I had actually tested and was on hold for another AI show, weirdly enough. So I, I couldn't come in and uh, audition for next. So at first I thought I lost it. I was like, oh man, I'm on hold for this thing and I just won't be able to go in, even though, you know, I obviously liked it more. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not a secret anymore. But but I, I was like, oh. Annie, who's on the line with us on mute, is she smiling? I, I can tell. She's very happy that you like this one more. So. Yeah, yeah. But I was bummed. I was like, oh man, I'm not going to go in for this. And then when I finally found out that I wasn't doing that one, uh, we reached back out to them and they were like, actually, we've moved on. We're, we're looking at older actresses for the role of Shay. And I was like, oh man, I missed it again. And then they came back and I was somewhere else. I was in Mexico actually shooting something else. So it kept like going back and forth. And I was like, am I ever going to get to go in for this? Finally, we worked it out and I went in and it was just, you know, everyone was so lovely. You know, Manny Koto and John Requa and Glenn Takara. And it was a bit of like an immediate connection and an immediate understanding it was it was a really lovely experience and i was just really stoked you know i was stoked that the connection that i felt when i read this script turned out to be a real thing and not something i made up in my head <laughs> you're no stranger to tv you have a ton of roles in your imdb but this is one of your first big like lead series is that mm-hmm. a different headspace for you taking that kind of role on being being the real spotlight for a show professionally as an actor is yeah. that is that like a different approach for you when you're getting ready to do this kind of show yeah, absolutely. And I think that specifically, too, with Manny's writing, you know, he comes, has a background in 24, as you know, and the, the writing is dynamic and it's fast paced and it's, a you know, there's a lot happening and there's so much at stake. So the rhythm of it is really specific and Shay being in it with Paul LeBlanc's character the entire time, I knew going into it that it was going to be a very intense experience. So I think it was just about preparing for that and being able to kind of take things as they come and knowing I think also that okay this is a condensed amount of time I just have to really be here for this time (laughs) you know I think we were all able to do it and what was really great and made it easier even though really was very intense for all of us was that we have a great phenomenal cast and we all really get along so all those moments that were perhaps difficult or full of tension were always diffused with laughter and love and just having a good time and so I I feel I feel very fortunate about that it was the most work that I've ever done but it was it's also been the most rewarding personally even even before we even knew what was going to happen with the show because obviously when we finished it was literally in the nick of time right before COVID hit so we got very very lucky and but at the same time when we finished we were like we don't know what's going to happen what what is the what is going to happen with the world I feel like we're still trying to figure that out I'm so extra excited that we get to share this with you guys now I mean as TV fans uh, this is one of our I mean it's one of the few new full fall dramas to hit so I I think that's only going to help the show but it also adds like a nice little background to the to the intensity of the show is the kind of times we're living in too though so absolutely yeah and it's really weird because as you know I was able to watch the first five episodes and I was watching it here with my husband and we're we're watching this we're going oh my god there's so much in this show that that you know we shot a year ago essentially almost a year ago and there's so many parallels to what's happening right now. I don't want to give anything away, but it, it's 
definitely creepy and it's it's certainly uncomfortable to watch because in my head I'm thinking okay this is a fiction show but really everything that we're dealing with is technology and realities that are already around us and to now sit and watch it all kind of come to light has been especially terrifying yeah yeah I can't imagine (laughs) with regard to the the casting who came first you or John Slattery I did actually uh, I did. Yeah, we were waiting and waiting to. I was personally really excited and waiting to find out who Paul LeBlanc was going to be because that was, you know, that was so important. That was so important. We didn't know. So John came later, and I, I couldn't be more stoked just at the idea of it. And then when I met him, I was like, oh, yes, you know? <laughs> I mean, I was already a fan, but his, his commitment and his, his talent, you know, obviously speaks for itself. But I was also just really pleasantly surprised that he's just great and hilarious and a great partner. Yeah, there's a lot of chemistry, I guess, with your two characters on screen because you are representing different parts of the story and he brings a towering amount of charisma on, on, on screen. Uh, it really works. With uh, preparing for this role, there's a lot of high-tech stuff, and then there's all the FBI stuff. Did you have to do any special training or research or anything to get into that stuff? You know, I I did the best I could with the time that I had. Uh, A couple of things that I did is um, my husband's best friend from childhood is a police officer. He's a detective in Florida, and he has friends who work in the FBI, so I relied on him for a lot of questions of is this is this how it really go down and how does this impact this person and how would this and obviously Manny Koto did a phenomenal job at having his own sources and talking to his own people to make sure that it is very much grounded I think that was a real conscious effort that he made it every second to make sure that it was that it was grounded in truth but I but I really took Retribution being able to talk to my husband's friend and that just not only to know does this sound real but also the impetus why did you get into this what drives you to kind of just get into the headspace of somebody who takes on those kinds of jobs because they're incredibly taxing and incredibly difficult jobs just to just to be in in the fbi and cybercrime not to mention once you get hit by it superhuman level intelligence AI. <laughs> so I, 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 try, I try to do my best to understand Shay at her core when it came to her work through that. And then, and then I just did, you know, what I think all of us would do. I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos and I read up on things and I watched roundtables where it's Elon Musk and Demis and like the, the, the entire range of experts. And, and I also have one, a, a close friend of mine, Laura, her husband, Dan is a huge aficionado and he really helped me understand the multiple layers of interest in artificial intelligence, right? From the existential to the potentialities that are seductive when it comes to medicine and finance and agriculture, all the parts of society where it's where it could be so helpful, where it sounds so seductive and to help us and convenience and all of those things. And to, of course, what the show really drives in is the terror of it. And the, the thing that Elon Musk and, and other experts have, you know, sounded the bell over and over about like, hey, this is dangerous. This could be the end of us. We need to regulate this. And, you know, nobody's really listening. So I kind of went through the gamut of all the different perspectives of it. And it's really easy to get all of it. 
And that's part of the helplessness. I remember reading an article that talked about, you know, usually when there's a subject matter, the more you know about it, the less terrifying it becomes, the less scary it becomes right. because you're like, right. oh, I know this. I understand this. I was only afraid of it because it was new. But with artificial intelligence, the more you know, <laughs> the more right. terrified you <laughs> become because it is so beyond our capacities. There, there's a blissfulness in the ignorance <laughs> of it all. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Your phone is just playing, you know, happy cats, you know, and great apps, you know, and you don't really worry about the consequences of it. So yeah, sure. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear you say you did that research. I mean, you could have just said, yeah, I watched The Matrix and figured I was good. <laughs> I mean, I love the Matrix. I can't, I, I can't be mad at the Matrix. But it's, it's, you know, what we deal with in this show, I think, is so wildly different from these other uh, artificial intelligence shows in the sense that it is not necessarily questioning the, the the idea of consciousness and of you know an artificial intelligence becoming conscious or anything like that or even breaking through a reality or anything like that it's just this is a program that we've created we have done this it already exists it's in our hands in this phone you know i'm talking to you through it and it's everywhere it's it's pervasive in our society and i think the reality and the root of that that it's already here is a very different and scarier take you know i just watched i don't know if you guys saw that netflix uh, documentary the social dilemma or whatever and obviously it touches on different things but there's like snippets of it where it talks about this ai in the sense that like this isn't some evil thing but at the same time it is right the guardian put out this article i don't know if you guys read this it's an op-ed and an artificial intelligence wrote with the goal to <laughs> tell us that I'm not here to destroy humanity. However, exactly what you expect to say. <laughs> exactly. Don't worry. I'm not here to destroy humanity. However, humans will continue to do what they do, which is hate and fight with each other. And I will just sit back and watch you self destruct. I cannot help the fact that you are going to do this. And I think that that's kind of what you see next has been programmed to survive. And that just doesn't include us. The terror with Next is, at least as far as the story, and, and this is something we've identified in the previous couple of weeks of podcasts, is that Next seems to want to make it personal. Where like Skynet and things like that, they want to take out everybody, but but Next is like just harassing you. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. Next is like, you know, it's insidious. A lot, of, a lot of times you see it portrayed, you know, Skynet is a great example. It's bombastic, taking over nuclear weapons and launching them and, and that kind of thing. This is, I'm going to find your gambling weakness yeah you know, i'm gonna get to your either your kids eliza it's very behind the scenes because that's a smart way to stay alive you know we're alive in air quotes absolutely <laughs> and that's what that was one of the scariest thing that manny explained to me when we started talking about this is that from his research it became obvious that if something like that were to exist that the first thing it would do was not set nuclear bombs or anything like that it would be to hide so that it can survive and just to start pushing and pressing our buttons so that we self-destruct so that it can have time to grow incognito and 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 i think that that's really what you see and we've made ourselves so vulnerable right talk about how easy it is to find all of our secrets and vulnerabilities if you think you know that that this why people have have codes or you have have locks on their phones and nobody can get in and because as soon as you have access to that you have access to everything 
One of the things that continues to scare us, and we talked to Manny about this before the first episode, was the fact that the show is set in the present makes it more terrifying because it is now. You know, it makes you stare at your phone a little bit with like a side eye. We see in tonight's episode, at the end of episode three, the Amber Alert system gets hijacked, which is terrifying because it's maybe possible. I, it, everything's connected, you know, through some web, you know, website or router or something like that. Has working on the show made you more wary or... Uh, look askance at, at technology and, and how pervasive is it, it is in our life? Have you adjusted how much you use technology or are you still kind of like, well, it's how we have to do business. And so we're just kind of still going along. Yeah. You know, I think that it has definitely given me a new awareness because before doing the show, I knew that it was there, but it's kind of this, you know, elephant in the room where you're like, it's there, but I'm not really going to look at it. And I can't really think of it. And it's hard to grasp it, right? It's hard to grasp the potentiality of, of the damage it can do. So you just kind of go, well, I'll just do this TikTok instead <laughs> or whatever. Right, so, right, right, right. So um, to get my mind off of the fact that this is what's destroying me partially. So I think that even though it's made me way more alert, and aware to it, it's also created this internal abyss of helplessness because we write like, this is how I do work. I'm talking to you guys through my phone. I guess I could get a, a burner or I could right. go <laughs> right. live in, right. the, in the forest or whatever, but, but I'm not. And so there's a, there's a conscious effort to try to minimize things, I think, on my part. But there's also an understanding that this is a part of life and today. So it's it's an awareness that comes with a helplessness. I don't know. It's like it's like going to therapy where you find out everything that's wrong, and you're like, ah, now what do I do with it? Um. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're you're 100% right. I mean, that being said, I walked in my kitchen before and I was talking on the phone and the Alexa started glowing and beeping and like, uh, I did not understand your question. Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you, <laughs> yeah. your machine. Stop listening to me. Yeah. When, when, you know, when I need you, I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's creepy. And that's that's what Manny said that, it, that inspired him, right? I'm sure you heard that it was his son talking to the Alexa in the middle of the night or yep. whatever. I don't have an Alexa or anything like that. And I don't really, I've never really had Siri on my phone my husband has it but I've never had it because there's internally I just always felt kind of dumb talking to it or like silly so I never developed this like familiarity with it but I know and I've watched right like my little cousins or people in my family or even my husband he talks to it all the time just like what asking it questions and stuff there's a familiarity and in Ethan's character you really see not only a familiarity as if it was just like another arm of his but a true intimacy that's missing from his life and a trust that he starts to build with this thing. That that's something that he hasn't been able to create in his life with his friends. And, and I think that that's so relatable and so terrifying because, you know, especially we've seen right now going through COVID and everything, how much more reliant we are on these things and how that's changing our interpersonal relationships and our and how much more we are reliant and opening up to these devices. Shay is presented to the viewer as pretty much just a, a normal woman doing her job. By that, I mean that she's not particularly dressed up or dressed down 
in, in any kind of stereotypical way, which mm-hmm. is interesting for a thriller. A lot of times you'll see women particularly, to some extent, sexualized, whether it's what they wear or makeup or, or, or something. But with Shay, I, don't, I haven't noticed that mm-hmm. as a component, kind of taking that out of the story as if it's unimportant, which is refreshing for me because it removes a distraction to the storytelling. Would you agree with that assessment of, of the character, that the way that they're putting it together? And did you have any input into any of that? Yes. And thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm, I really appreciate it. You know, I think that that was very conscious, not only on my part, but also thankfully on the parts of the creators of, you know, Manny and John and Glenn. I, that was a discussion that we had really early on, you know, that I've had so many of these conversations with my husband, the, the same thing where I'll be watching something and it completely takes me out of it because it's like, is this person wearing lipstick? And is there like, is there, is there hair? Like, is there an iron that curled their hair in the middle of the desert in Afghanistan? You know what I mean? It's just like, what? (laughs) What? Like, I can't, I can't believe this anymore. So I think that it was so important with Shay uh, for me to take that completely out of the equation. And of course, like you do see moments in her family and at home where you see a different side of her, you know, a softer side of her perhaps, and maybe a, Mm -hmm. a little bit of that, but that is just not a part of her priorities. And I I think it was really important to see that. It's also a testament to the entire feeling of the show being grounded in reality. And that was really important for this character for me. And also on a personal level, you know, there's, of course, you know, you're an actor and you're human being and your person and you're like oh, I wish I could look really like glamorous and wear lipstick or whatever but it just it, it would make no sense and I as a viewer when I watch things it's what I like to see also right I'm like oh my god that looks like a real person and that looks like what they would really wear and look like and all of that and I, I even remember towards the without giving anything away but towards the end <laughs> I remember Manny was like I don't mean this in a bad way but it's supposed to look terrible. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I agree, right? Manny, this is just how I look, buddy. I don't know what's <laughs> yeah, going to say. Right. This is my face. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I told my husband, I'm like, you know, this is uh, not a glamorous. You're not going to be watching it. Like, ooh. But it's it's really cool that you noticed that because it was a really conscious thing, not, not only on my part. And I was extremely stoked and relieved that it was also at the forefront of the creators and the EPs of imagining this character. I mean, it's a good change. I mean, if I want yeah. that, I'll go watch Michael Bay. But if, 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 I, <laughs> right. if I don't, then, right. then I'm glad that you're making a conscious change like that. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely moments in the hair and makeup chair where, you know, we're like, oh, my God, this ponytail again. Oh, my God, more dust on your face. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> you know, just more terrible. But it really also helps, obviously, to get in, into the shoes of the character to look like what she would really look like. There's another aspect of your character, too, that we're seeing played out and explored in the early episodes. And especially tonight, it kind of came to a head. The the idea of Shay struggling with being this kind of kick-ass field agent and tackling really difficult subjects. First, you know, human trafficking is kind of the case she's on when the show starts, but now she's dealing with this crazy AI system. But she also has this kind of guilt about Ethan and not being home and being away. There's a heartbreaking line in this episode tonight where she's on the plane with Paul and she says, you know, he asks, why do I have to go away? Why, you know, why am why am I not there? I think TV 
has started to try and, and deal with the idea of mom being at work and not at home and guilt factor. And I don't know that it's been doing a great job of it as a, as a medium, but I, I feel like Next is taking a good approach to it because it's not crippling Shay. It's not infecting how she's doing her job, but it's reflecting an idea that, you know, it's on her mind. She, she does have some of this mom guilt. I'm curious how it feels playing that. And if that's, again, part of the character discussions with Manny and, and the other producers about how she kind of balances her work life. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for these good questions. This is awesome. Yeah. You know, that I think is another wonderful part of this character. I think that, you know, as a society and as a race, we're very unforgiving to mothers. And I think that exploring this, I'm sure, in TV has been difficult for writers because of that, you know, because it's very easy to lose trust or likability or get behind a character that you know we don't necessarily like and I think what's ne- what's great about this is that you do see her flaws and you do see the parts of her life that are taxed due to the sacrifices she's made and one of them is certainly her relationship with Ethan I think that I have so many friends and I have so many personal experiences with that you know my mom was a teacher growing up and then she had her own business when we lived in Brazil and we're three. And once my sister was born, she did sell her business and and took care of us full time. But for a large portion of my childhood, she was working nonstop and I was in school or I was in a conservatory afterwards. And I think that there is so much of that guilt for her that played into that time where she couldn't spend with me. And I know that there are so many working mothers that struggle with that and also at the same time, no, that is not a fatal flaw, right? That is not a fatal flaw, but it is something that you have to deal with. And it's certainly a vulnerability that in the show you see next go for the jugular with, you know? There's a show right now, and I won't won't say what it is, but when we reviewed it, it was a aspect of the show was a mom dealing with the work-life thing, and it was not handled well. (laughs) <laughs> it was like a group of men from the 50s wrote it oh god <laughs> and it was really disturbing in 2020 to have that kind of attitude like you're you're gonna set this mother up for failure almost where it did kind of cripple her ability to do her job and it did you know where she feels like she's failing everywhere and that's yeah. a bad place to put someone in this day and age i think i yeah. like how you guys are handling it thank you and that's you know to the writers Looking at tonight's episode, the scene with the robot dogs and the bizarre robot mouth thing. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the scene with where you shoot the dog. Was the dog there? Was there any real dog? First of all, can I please clarify to the audience that I did not shoot a, a dog? <laughs> <laughs> it was a robot dog. It wasn't like okay, a okay, real okay, dog. Okay, I mean, okay, okay, okay. okay. I just want to clarify that in case like, a clip gets taken right. out. Like, uh, the, right. the ASPCA <laughs> is also at your door. They'd like to have a word with you. Yeah, I love dogs. The special effects dogs. people were like, we had to use a real dog. We'll just yeah. take it out later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the real dog Fernanda, in a green suit. That was a real dog she shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No. That scene went through so many evolutions. And at first, there was a lot of a lot more shooting than before. And I think it turned out that I, I mean, I definitely had to shoot the dog, the robot dog a couple of times <laughs> myself, but I was at a wonderful stunt double who did it 
at the time where I couldn't. It was it was a really kind of when we shot that scene, it was kind of an overlap between two episodes. So I was really going and shooting one episode, and then instead of taking a break, going straight and shooting that robot scene. But it was really weird when I first saw those robots because I had heard about it and I'd seen the storyboards and everything, but just to see it and to see it like walking around and moving, it was very bizarre. And then the mouth that you're talking about is mm-hmm. just blah. It, <laughs> I mean, I remember when they talked about it and showed me pictures of it, I was like, this is so unnerving. And then looking at it, it's just like that because, you know, the throat and the, it's just how human mixed with machine it is was really not cool. And as a matter of fact, there's a part in it where it, where eventually it becomes kind of violent. And I feel like that was the, that was a moment for me. <laughs> it had to be cathartic beating the snot out yeah. of that thing though, right? I yeah. mean, and then when you shove the metal pipe and telephone, shut up, I left. I laughed out loud. I loved it. it was so yeah. Funny. Yeah. I actually hit it so hard that it fell off the table and I felt so bad because I was like, Oh my God, I'm not supposed to really break it. And I tried to like, it, it was very funny slash, uh, panic on my end because i didn't think i was hitting it so hard but i guess i really went for it you've already cut into the season two effects budget so that's not yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly if fernanda hadn't destroyed our little prop there we could have done it yeah (laughs) the the craft service budget's taking a hit exactly i'm not it's interesting that that you mentioned the evolution of the of the scene like that because that got me thinking you only fire twice and you Mm -hmm. take out what you mean to take out and that's it Mm -hmm. um going back to the idea that we've seen ai take over the world thrillers before presented in like mike said a more bombastic you know everybody's gonna die kind of way gunfire is something that goes along with those episodes. Like if they don't fire 200 rounds an episode, then they've done something wrong (laughs) according to their own, you know, their own internal logic of what those shows need. Whereas your show, we're three episodes in and we've got two gunshots. Now I'm not expecting you to pull out your gun all that much, which is a fresh take again on on the genre. Right. We want our FBI agents to be able to hit stuff within one or two shots, not like Stormtrooper Star Wars, <laughs> where, you know, it's uh, 90,000 bullets and they still get away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and thanks for pointing it out. I think, I think that it's also, you know, for Shay specifically too, like I said before, you know, she, even though she was obviously highly trained in all of these things, she's not somebody who went into this job, you know, trigger happy or thirsty for those situations. It was something that she had to master and she had to learn to do her job well. So I think that it very much is efficiency and that's it. That is such a part of her as a whole that I, I was glad that you saw it and you caught it. Sounds like they considered a hail of bullets and then <laughs> stepped it back. Yes, well, exactly. The Italian heritage, you know, one to get the job done, an extra for good luck. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's just, it's efficient. I mean, we're, we're taught that in Queens anyway, very early on. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, and right. look, I think that that was also the very beginning of Shay starting to get pushed. I think you will certainly, certainly see her at her wit's end and you will see a different side of her. Interesting you say that because uh, my next question was actually going to be kind of on, on Shay and the line she's walking because already just after three episodes, she lives in two very different worlds right now. She's straddling this high tech world where she's dealing with Paula Blanc and, and dealing with this world ending 
machine, but then she also has her home life, which is kind of a low-tech life. Her husband is a, a guy who works on Mustangs. He's very like, anti-Paul LeBlanc and what he stands for. I'm curious, you, as you approach the scenes, it's almost like playing two different characters a little bit because you have to kind of be ramped up and then kind of ramped down. How, do you, how have you been approaching that at, at just as far as you approach your scenes? And can we see more of that you know, begin to pull on Shay's character as the season goes on, where she's either in one world or another world. For me, when I starting to build her and get to know her, I think that it became very clear that her job and her world, her professional world is really heavy and she has to be really strong and she has to be, there's, there's a hardened outside that needs to be there in order for her to be able to survive the world that she's you know human trafficking and all of the things that she's dealing with in her job she needs to have a, a tough skin and not to mention she works in the fbi and it's a heavily male dominated and all of those other things that play into it but at the same time i i always saw her home life as a true haven for her you know a place that she came to soften and i think that that you really see her in her relationship with ty where it's a place where she can breathe for a second it's a refuge for a second and certainly with ethan you know so she's kind of built this world where she can just take a breath um but it's also a very difficult balance you know, it's really heavy stuff. And it's, and especially once Paula Blanc comes into her life and, and next comes into her life, everything starts to bleed into one another. And, and it becomes very difficult to balance that because the stakes are so high. And, you know, it, it is a thriller and we're against the clock and it's going so fast. And like we know in life, humans are not very good <laughs> at dealing with softness when your fight or flight is activated. So I think that it becomes extra difficult keeping those connections when they're exactly the things that are being targeted by this invisible monster. I wonder if one scene from from the third episode is is going to expand some of that a little bit. I'm talking about the jailbreak scene, the next assisted jailbreak scene where someone in Honduras gets mm. out of jail and and makes their way north <laughs> by the looks Ooh, of things. Yeah. Is there is there anything about that that's going to expand some of Shay's backstory? You know, without giving anything away like I feel like that is the very very tip of of an enormous iceberg that Shay really really was hoping would stay hidden below the water yes she was really hoping that it was forever hidden and melted somehow and it's, it's it's uh that is one of the that that is the beginning of you seeing well actually that's the the next level of you seeing next really have no mercy for the humanity of any of these characters that sounds like about as far as you can get on that yeah <laughs> <Detail>. <laughs> <All Yep. right. laughs> was that vague enough was that <laughs> For people listening, there's lots of winking going on over here. I don't know yeah, what it means. But there's yeah, lots yeah. of winking and nodding going on. Yeah. So well, think, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone likes to think about the actors that portray roles and, and how 
they're kind of like the character they're playing or or not like the character they're playing. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, how do you think you're most like Shay? How do you think you're most unlike her? Oh, man, it's so funny you asked that because I, I remember, you know, we shot this in Chicago and my husband wasn't there for most of the time, but he came and joined us at the end for the last month. And I remember when he got there, I was like, oh, I forgot. Like, right, like, this is how I am. I think... <laughs> I'm like, I think that there's so much of Shay that is inside of me. And there's so much of Shay that I genuinely just truly admire. She's obviously very devoted and very dedicated to not only her work, but the people that she loves. And I can definitely relate to that. However, you know, it was impossible not to think, wow, what an incredibly difficult job this person has and it made me think of everybody that has these kinds of job and what and and how easily it is to forget the soft parts of yourself when you're when you're having to deal with so many things that you're supposed to toughen up for so i would i was definitely exhausted at the end of days and i was definitely a little bit relieved that I could soften and back into myself and Shay just doesn't get that at all, you know? I'm sure your husband appreciated that too. (laughs) You're like, like, listen, I I didn't marry Shay Salazar. I don't know what what is happening. Yeah, he was like, whoa, 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 calm down. There is definitely some of that. I think that I'm certainly a very different kind of person, but there's, you know, core structural elements that I I really relate to and more than anything I, I admire in her. We have kept you here, actually, I think probably longer than we were supposed to. So thank you so much for talking to us. If people wanted to interact with you on social media, are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? Is there a good place to follow you? Yeah. And and thank you for keeping me. This has been so lovely. And I am (laughs) on both Instagram and Twitter. It's just my name on Twitter. And and for some reason, there's 1 million Fernanda Andrades in the world, believe it or not. So I could not give my name. (laughs) And so in whatever, 2012, I just made up a name and it was, yeah, yeah, go, go. And I joked with my friends that they're like, why did you, why did you pick that handle? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like if I ever had a band, that's what that's what the name of it would be. And they're like, okay. And it just, and it just stayed, which is like slightly hilarious to me (laughs) when, you know, when like reputable sources are like, yeah, yeah, go, go. I'm like, oh God. Okay. Well, (laughs) my, my name's (laughs) taken. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go with no H's. So that's my, that's my Instagram handle for the band that I never had because I have zero musical (laughs) talent. My husband's a musician. So that's completely illogical. But that's what it is. And you can find me there. We all vision board in different ways. And yours was with a, with a probably an unfortunate Instagram handle. But hey, it sets you apart from all the other Andrades in the world. So Thank you. you. That's very kind of you to say. But on behalf of me and Paul and the podcast, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you guys and meeting you. Hopefully yes. we can have you back again. I hope so too. Take care, Fernando. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you to Fernanda Andrade for joining us. And so I, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Next week, we're actually going to have CM himself. Michael Mosley is going to be joining us here on Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. So I hope you guys come back and join us for that one. Any final thoughts from you guys, Caroline Paul, before we wrap up tonight? You have to ask him if it means chick magnet. Oh, my God. I want to know so bad. <laughs> <laughs>
Hopefully we will have an answer for that when you listen to the interview <laughs> next week. I know that's all you guys want to know. So this is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Conversations with Eliza on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us five stars. It makes Apple Podcasts really like us. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.